0: How are you doing? I'm Doug Devaney, and you're listening to The Plastic Podcasts, Tales of the Irish Diaspora. We all come from somewhere else. Find us and subscribe to us at www.plasticpodcasts.com. This is The Plastic Podcast minicast, and the second part of my interview with Tony Murray. Now, Tony's life seems to have taken a number of different routes, and I wonder if he believes in the idea of turning points.
1: I think I do. We don't always recognise them at the time, but certainly in retrospect, you do. Um, I do. And I think that um, we can control a certain amount of what we do. um, when we can maybe, you know, sketch out a career for ourselves. And some people are able to do that, perhaps. But I think for the vast majority of us, uh, there are these turning points and they're just they come out of the blue and you're given an opportunity you either go with it or you don't and um, they uh, they can change your life so there's a real randomness and luck factor to it all i do believe that um, so i suppose i'm a bit of a fatalist in that way uh, i don't think you can determine everything. i think certainly the older i get the more i realize that you know um, you just have to I accept that things are continually going to change, and that you continually have to be ready to adapt. And you know look, what we've just gone through with COVID. You know that's the biggest one out of the lot. Um,
0: what we found with with uh, with our other interviewees is that the attitude towards the diaspora and Irishers and the diaspora's own attitude towards itself has changed over the course of the last forty to fifty years.
1: Massively yeah
0: and how do you how do you think that that, that's that that's changed more importantly do you think there was a turning point
1: um i think there probably was a turning point but i don't think it happened at any particular moment if it was a much more gradual change and i think that took place probably in the early 90s mid 90s in ireland um I think attitudes changed at the diaspora in the sense that they no longer took the diaspora for granted, um, or um, simply forgot about the migrants who left. I think by the mid '90s, um, an awful lot. Well, there was a, there was a phase of return of which my parents were a part. Actually, a lot of people came back to live in Ireland. Um, people who had some who come straight after the war, like my parents, but others from the 1980s, actually, the 80s migrant generation, who went back to live in Ireland in the 90s. And I think their understanding of what it meant to be Irish in Britain, and the conflicts and ambivalences of that experience were brought back to Ireland and informed, you know, the general cultural debate about Irishness, so I think that that was a positive thing, um, and, and I think as a consequence, government policy started to adapt and reflect that. So the Immigrant support programme became a major plank of you know the Irish abroad policy. Uh, there was a sense that you know the the government had to couldn't just forget about the Irish abroad; they had to do something to support particularly in Britain. I mean, America's always been a different story. Uh, the Irish had tended to do much, you know, done well over there much easier than they have
0: here. Yes, we you have Irish-Americans, but you don't have irish Britons, do you?
1: No, you don't. And there's all those political kind of historical complications around the term Irish-Britain or Irish-British. Um, um, I think that's where the London-Irish term probably comes from. It's a way of circumnavigating that to some extent, certainly in my case, um, but yeah, I think uh, diaspora as a word is interesting. It's interesting that the Irish adopted it uh, because prior to the 80s um, and 90s, it wasn't a word you would have heard any Irish person use, you know, um, it was a Jew, It was associated much more with the Jewish diaspora. But I think that, that um if academia makes any kind of contribution, I wondered whether it does often, you know, and I would make any claims, but in terms of the ge- more general kind of cultural milieu, if you like, of what's happened in Ireland over this last few decades, I think that Diaspora, which is effectively a kind of theoretical idea, you know, it's a term, I think it has helped to um, broaden people's awareness of, uh, what Irishness means and how complex it is. Um, I think that's been a really positive thing. And people like Mary Robinson who got up and used the term formally for the first time in 1990, I think it was, and that was an absolute turning point. Um,
0: Again, we talked we talked about Mary Robinson and turning points and her famous candle and all that sort of thing. John, John O'Donoghue in our first interview, he talked about how the the, uh, the the diaspora in Britain had a tendency to wind their necks in his his term there. Uh, to to not really talk about their own irishness and now we have a situation where i'm talking to you and you're a, you're, a, you're a doctor who who who's, who's had a, did a six- year degree in irish studies and so forth something that wouldn't have been been, been, been been conceivable 40 50 years ago which is which is which was a click of the fingers in in, in, in historical terms um and 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 so how is it that the the, the diaspora's approach to itself in this country has changed rather than in ireland do you think
1: if you mean the diaspora, if you mean, do you mean the Irish community here?
0: Second, third generation, yeah, Second, all that.
1: Third, yeah. It's a very good question. Um, I think um, it's generally been a positive one. Um, I think that uh, there's been massive challenges for the Irish here, you know, coming through the troubles and the peace process. and But I think, uh, how do we feel about ourselves? Um, I don't know. I I um I feel in some ways the fact that maybe in my experience people perhaps don't talk about it as much as they used to. I found that maybe ten, twenty years ago people were much more embroiled in those conflicts of identity, perhaps because the troubles were still going and we were all talking about identity. Whereas now maybe it's a good thing that we don't have to anymore. We're kind of We've accepted ourselves as, you know, these curious hybrid or hyphenated individuals, you know, and we all kind of just get on with that. We, we, we don't have to necessarily feel we should choose one way or the other about our identities in the same way anymore. You know, um, maybe that's a, that's a good thing. Um,
0: because, and yet uh, there's Brexit and yet there's um, a rush for Irish passports, and yet yeah. there's... And that
1: has brought, it's resurrected a lot of that old stuff, hasn't it, around the colonial relationship. And, um, and uh, some of the, you know, more extreme right-wing views you encounter um, in regards to, you know, immigrants generally some of that is start start to rub off or attitudes to the irish in places there's no question um you know um so it's a nasty kind of echo really of a time which uh, was not very comfortable to live through and that certainly made me feel less than well disposed to living in this country
0: You're listening to The Plastic Podcasts, Tales of the Irish Diaspora. We all come from somewhere else. Find and subscribe to us at www.plasticpodcasts.com. In the last part of my interview with Tony Murray, we talk about being London Irish and what that means.
1: Uh, I suppose I have the advantage or the privilege of living in London, which feels like a little bit of a cocoon, maybe from Brexit land you know i have this sense of uh, london being surrounded on, almost under siege now by uh, you know um brexit land um you know non metropolitan england um
0: and yet if you're defined by others as you say um with regards to irishness or your your or your identity so like the fact that you are in london is regarded by others as being something of a um well, that you don't understand how the rest of the country is going. Absolutely.
1: And uh, I think, um, you know, the, the referendum was a wake-up call for Londoners. And I think it was a necessary one, actually. I mean, I don't agree with, you know, leaving the EU. Um, but I do think that we became very myopic. Um, and um, I remember going to a wedding in coventry about six months ago uh maybe longer it was before covid but i um i remember going to a pub the night before the wedding just for a bite to eat uh with my partner and um three guys sat down just close this middle-aged guy same age as me and uh, it was a nice kind of convivial sort of pub. There was a band on, nice atmosphere. And uh, we got into conversation. As you do, when you go up north, you know, people talk a bit more than they do in London. That was nice. And I had a chat. And then um, they heard my accent. And that was it. It was like <laughs> one-way conversation from then on. It was all about Brexit and how you Londoners haven't got a clue. Um, and they... Um, you know uh, okay they 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 probably you know picked up a lot of their attitudes from reading the, the sun or the you know whatever uh, online about uh you know migrants and refugees and blah blah and um but underneath it i I had to come away and reassess you know what had happened to people in ordinary small towns up and down the country and how they had actually been left behind. Um, And how I think their sense of identity had been eroded, you know, that their sense of belonging had somehow slipped away um, because they didn't recognise the country they were living in anymore. Um, So I think, um, you know, I can, I wouldn't agree, with what th- those views but i can certainly empathize to some degree with you know their sense of conflict over their identity because after all that's where we've come from we've come from you know this <laughs> um engagement with what it means to be irish for the last 30 odd years you know irishness um and irish identity well now the english are having to do that you know and it's a really difficult process to go through um, because things are changing in mean, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland are not for Brexit, you know, I mean, Wales is, but you know, certainly, you know, the UK looks like it is starting to break up um, because the English are starting to realise that they want something different. Um, I think it's a fantasy. They're looking back to, you know, Empire, the war, And all of that, which gave them a sense of worth. Let's face it: after like ten years of austerity, you know, and having your nose rubbed in the dirt, you know, by successive governments, uh, it's not surprising a lot of people have felt fed up and just decided, "Sod you! I'll, you know, I'll I'll show you what I think and vote (laughs) when I've got the one chance to do it. I'll, I'll say two fingers." And um, that's partly what the referendum is about, I think.
0: Speaking of identity, um, you describe yourself on a number of occasions as being London Irish. And um, I, is there something that's very, very specific to being London Irish, those two things together?
1: I think it's the duality for me, which is important, yeah, being both things at the same time without necessarily the two kind of diluting. Um, but it's also about London in the sense of London being. A place where lots of migrants have come to live, make a living and contribute. Um, and as a son of Irish migrants, I feel part of that massive post-war change in London, along with, you know, the African Caribbean community, Asian community, and now Eastern European community. Um, I feel that London, that's always been partly what london's about it's always been an evolving place and it's been a place where you know largely not all the time but largely there's been a a tolerance to allow people to live the life they want to live and where you come from you know is um shouldn't necessarily get in the way of that it doesn't always happen of course but yeah
0: is that any different from, say, Liverpool Irish or Manchester Irish or Leeds Irish or any other you know, major city that I care to mention?
1: Well, I think all those cities you mentioned are fairly multicultural in their own right, and I would imagine that that probably applies to them as well. Whether individuals who call themselves Manchester Irish or Liverpool Irish think of it in the same way as I do, it has that multicultural dimension, I wouldn't like to say. Um, but... Um, you know, I think that that certainly is part of the history of certainly somewhere like Liverpool, which was built on, you know, migration really, and empire and that whole you know, colonial dimension. Um, I, um, I think that being able to say Liverpool Irish or Birmingham Irish, as opposed to English Irish, has been a form of liberation for a lot of second-generation people because it's enabled us to say two things at the same time. In other words, we're not being defined one way or the other. We um, give equal credence to both sides of our inheritance. I think that that's really important. Um, But ultimately, what I would also say is that labels like that are um inadequate in terms of really giving really describing the um complexity of what it means to be second generation irish or jewish or asian and that's where for me the writing and the narratives and the fictions and the autobiographies come in because they enable a story to be told and I've increasingly come to the conclusion that identity is actually about a storytelling process, it's about an evolution over time as well as space you know I mean the migrant identity is about space because of migration but it's also about time in terms of you know how uh, an identity doesn't stay static it evolves as we get older Um, and I think that that's um you know something which i'm it's an idea which I'm very keen on, and i I feel maybe still doesn't I don't hear enough about you know that just that that sense of um, how important people's stories are. I mean that's partly why I jumped at the chance of doing this with you, Doug, because I thought it was a great idea to do these podcasts, to give people the time you've allowed allowed us all plenty of time to actually just um you know talk at length about these uh these complications about being second generation irish um often we don't get that chance we're told to sort of provide a sound bite for a you know a newspaper piece or you know um and i don't think that does that can do justice really um we do
0: need that time and space bless you bless you thank you for saying so um we speaking of time uh, we don't have much more left um as 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 i know that um that that, um, our days get filled so i'm going to ask a couple of things first of all um i just want to follow up on a thought there and um uh which is how do you feel that your identity or your sense of identity has changed over that time
1: I think it's changed from, uh, um, I suppose, a static sense of my identity to one that's much more fluid. Um, Now, that might be seen as, you know, somehow dilution, but it's not actually, it's a strengthening. Uh, Because when I was younger, uh, when i 'd get into debates about the Troubles, I would take a very, very rigid stance. you know it was an emotional stance it was where my family came from and i um, you know i would <clears throat> I would see myself as totally Irish in those situations. It was like you know nothing could touch it uh, i was to, you know I was as so authentic as any anyone born in Ireland um, um, I still feel that actually but um I've realised as I got older that, you know, my my childhood and my my adolescence and growing up here and the work I've done and lived in London most of my life, that that's actually just as important and that has to be referenced as well. It has to be given um, fair fair due. So, I suppose that's where the mixed sense of identity comes from. I didn't used to. Like I didn't used to like uh, adopting that um, sense of ambivalence, but now I, I feel it's more more a strength because the more I speak to people, the more interviews I do, like you do with people from the second generation backgrounds, the more I realise that it's full of contradictions um, and there's all sorts of um, nuances, facts and fictions getting mixed up, you know. But in a wonderful, creative way, and it's uh, I think. Um, You know, I think that I would prefer to think of myself as someone who's had a story to tell about the change in my sense of self, rather than think that I'd always stuck true to that, you know, original kind of very monolithic sense of Irishness uh, that I might have had when I was in my teens. Tell me about the archive. Oh, it's full of these stories. Uh, we did loads of interviews, um, both from the, in the 1980s. We did a series of interviews with people who came over in the 1930s and 40s, told their stories about being Irish in, in Britain. Some, oh God, some heart stories. And also we did some in... Um, the early part of this century, how would you call that? The first decade, the noughties. We did, um, we did actually some film interviews and um, that was a marvellous experience because originally I just wanted to do audio, but then a producer and a film producer said, why don't you film it? We did the similar kinds of interviews, just asking people about their experience coming over, older people, um, my parents' generation. Um, And um, they really rose to the occasion. And um, they told some magnificent tales. Um, And they talked so well. They were just fascinating to listen to. So um, we put that film up on our archive website. If you go to the archive website, you can see it. It's called, I I only came over for a couple of years. Dot, dot, dot.
0: You've been listening to The Plastic Podcasts with me, Doug Devaney, and my guest, Tony Murray. Music by Jack Devaney. You can find us and subscribe to us at www.plasticpodcasts.com or just look for us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. The Plastic Podcasts has been sponsored using public funding by Arts Council England.